Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Thanks for showing up again to listen to us. Excited here to welcome Bob Lorenzo. He's the CEO of DecuSoft in Park Ridge, New Jersey, which is where I grew up. And as we learned through the miracle of networking here on the internet, it's a small world. So uh, my mom taught Bob's kids in elementary school. So that was super cool just to show you the power of networking and the stuff that we have available to us in business. So Bob, welcome. I look forward to uh, chatting with you about you know your business journey and it's nice to get a, a taste of home. So please introduce yourself and, and the company. I know you can do it better than me. Thanks, Ledge. And it is a small world. My three kids were very fortunate to have uh, Ledge's mom as our teacher and my uh, oldest son uh, also knew your brother who uh, taught at Don Bosco as well. So indeed a small world. So I'm the CEO of uh, DecuSoft and we are a uh, company that provides compensation management software. And um, what we basically allow companies to do is automate their compensation processes and keep everything in one centralized repository. And what that allows customers to do is to save time and money managing compensation and also to uh, mitigate risk. A lot of our customers uh, came off of using spreadsheets, homegrown systems, or some of the human capital management suited solutions that um, cannot handle their compensation. We do a lot of work in the financial services vertical where the uh, compensation is somewhat complex and a lot of our customers have very unique needs or way of doing things. And our software Compose uh, allows uh, them and we accommodate uh, their unique way of doing things into a uh, uh, pretty user-friendly software platform. And, and so it's that's a high-level overview. Yeah, it would plug in, I guess, with all the... HRM types of software and, you know, human capital management and, you know, all the the stuff there. And you're really talking about the incentive plans and all the different types of comp, I guess, that would go into the the complicated nature of, of hundreds and thousands of people getting paid, you know, to do what Absolutely. they do. I, I wouldn't want to manage that on, on spreadsheets, even in a small company scenario. It's hard to remember account to account how things are sometimes, you know, managed. I, I I know in a sales org, it's that way. I would bet in any kind of, uh, you know, executive comp and bonus and types of situations that it must be wildly complex. It, it is. And you'd be surprised, Ledge, how many uh, folks do use spreadsheets. So spreadsheets were never really designed to be an enterprise wide solution. 
but a lot of people are familiar uh, with them and they don't like moving away from them because it's a comfort level. We designed our software by uh, a compensation professional uh, for compensation professionals and the actual grid looks and feels just like uh, a spreadsheet. So it is very user-friendly and intuitive. And um, you're absolutely right. We integrate with all the major human capital management providers. And um, if a customer does not have that and just came to us from spreadsheets, we would be the system of record. If not, the HCM provider would be the system record. We would calculate all the compensation feedback into those respective systems. And it is complicated and getting more and more complicated uh, as we speak. Yeah, I bet. Well, and then everybody thinking about taxes and changes and all that stuff, you know, obviously flows flows into it. And what I, I'm interested as a as a point solution provider, because we talk to a lot of software companies who you know address these niche types of point solution things. Like this is what we do. We do this best. We're solving a particular problem. We need to integrate with therefore HCM, ERP. You name it, you know, all this, this stuff, there's this sort of big software that kind of has touches a little bit of all these things. And then there are now innumerable point solutions across every vertical that you could possibly imagine in a company. It gets a little overwhelming from the buyer perspective, you know, on a, a now we have these ecosystems of where you used to at least sort of just have one giant piece of software that kind of did a good job. Now you have a thousand pieces of software that can plug in from all over the place. And, you know, from a management perspective and a cost mitigation perspective, point solutions do such a great job and then are also, you know, hard to manage. I, I just wonder like how you guys deal with like from a procurement, you know, an educational perspective on, um, on that. There's a lot of founders in that situation. They, they want to sell the best of breed point solution but it's just part of like a big, uh, you know, massive sort of enterprise. So love if you yeah. kind of break that down. You bring up a, a really good point. So there, there's two schools of thought. Um, a lot of the human capital management providers, uh, what we call provide a suited solution where they have multiple uh, components within their software. And, you know, not to, you know, make it generic, but it's a kind of like a one size fits all. So you buy a Workday, an Oracle, or an SAP, and it handles many aspects of your HR. Then there are um, best-of-breed point solutions that just specialize in one particular area. Um, the rationale is that um, one size doesn't always fit all, that you know, the, the suited solutions that want to satisfy thousands of customers from one common platform doesn't often allow you the ability to handle things that you do either your unique way or any specialized intricacies that you have relative to your particular industry, like financial services or retail. Some of the bonus, the component-based bonus and some of the uh, carried interest, some of the, the things specific to finance and retail get somewhat complicated. And oftentimes the suite of solutions don't provide the flexibility or the configurability, A, to handle the complexity or B, uh, to provide the customer the flexibility to do things their unique way. We try to understand our customers' needs, and then we accommodate Compose to kind of fit their needs versus asking them to change 
to fit like a rigid preset standard of, of some of the software and some of the off the shelf. So the bottom line is it, it is all predicated on what the need is. Procurement will look and evaluate, but a lot of times the HR and the finance department, they will know they have a deficiency and a, and a hole and a void that needs to be filled. And the cost justification will often outweigh, you know, from an ROI, are you going to save time and money? Have you made mistakes with underpayments and overpayments to employees? Are you having a security risk by sending unsecure spreadsheets without audit trails throughout the U.S. and, you know, world if you have foreign subsidiaries? So there's, there's a risk factor and then there's a time and a money factor by um, oftentimes having fewer people manage comp processes by having it automated. So, but you're absolutely right. We face that all the time. Yeah, and there's so many founders working on point solutions and customizing and looking at how they fit into the the big players there. What would you advise to let's just, you know, take take off the the specificity specificity of your I solution. always struggle with that one too. <laughs> I need more Mountain Dew this morning. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. Take off the hat of, you know, the, the deck you saw have, and we're talking about comp in a particular type of area, but it, yeah. as you're running a software company and you have to think about, you know, market penetration, how do you advise on doing that when you are a point solution and you're up against the suited solutions, or you know that really integration could be, you know, you're almost... It's sort of the enemy that there's a generic solution, but it's also just the best way to deploy because it's sort of a selling pattern to integrate. You could join a marketplace. There's all kinds of distribution models. So how do you guys think about that? Well, we don't we don't really compete. We don't consider ourselves uh, competing with the the big providers. And if let's just take Workday for example, more than close to ninety percent of our customers that run Compose run it in conjunction with Workday. So Workday will often be the HR system of record, but then Compose will do all the compensation calculations and then feed data back and forth to Workday. Then Workday will process the, uh, kick out the calculations that we've provided to them for comp and kick it out to a payroll provider, whether they're using Workday or a third party. So we actually work alongside of a lot of those uh, providers. And in terms of you know, penetration and, and market share, the key is that um, being a, 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 a specialized provider, oftentimes as comp evolves, there's a couple of things happening in compensation. It's not getting easier. It's getting more complicated. There's also a pattern where Ledge, in the, in the old days, most of the financial service companies and, and retail companies, they tend to pay out at the end of the year where their comp season would be toward Q4 with payouts into Q1. What, what has happened over the last couple of years is that the compensation system, there's been more frequency of payments and rewards. Financial companies now have a mid-year cycle. A lot of the retail accounts are paying quarterly. We have some paying monthly. So the comp system is being used more of a year-round tool than just a one-time a year. And also, finance is getting more involved because they want to extract data from a compensation system to do reporting and analytics and modeling. Right now, there's, there's, you, you read in the press about the diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You read about ESG with the environmental, social, and governance. So a lot of that data that is in a comp system has to be extracted uh, by finance to be used to do some modeling and reporting 
So there's a lot of things that are changing and evolving that will uh, require having uh, access to data that you can quickly and accurately uh, access and then do some modeling and reporting. And if you don't have a system of record, it becomes uh, very, very difficult to do that. Yeah. I know long-winded, but I hope I answered your question. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think anyone that is thinking about running, entering a market, exists in a market like this, needs to think about how do you do channel partner relationships with, you know, the big players that that are the the suited solutions or the ones that control kind of the, the app stores, if you will, uh, the access points. And you can even develop direct relationships with them to actually, you know, sort of get referrals and stuff. Uh, or you can do it from a, you know, sort of integration standpoint where like, well, look, we automatically can integrate with that API. That's not, you know, a workday or somebody like them, you know, actually bringing you a, a sales lead, but integration can be a di distribution point to use yeah. on your marketing. So. We integrate with all of them. And, and honestly, the, uh, we are friendly with a lot of the reps of those companies and they have recommended us several times. So we do work closely with them. We also work with, you bring up a great point about partnering and things like that. We work with a lot of compensation consultants. So the, you know, the corn ferries of the world and companies like that. So a lot of times, Ledge, they'll go in and devise a compensation plan and a strategy because at the end of the day, compensation is an integral part of, you know, attracting and retaining top talent. So those firms like a corn ferry, they'll go into that C-suite, recommend a strategy, and then from a consultative perspective, every year go back and say, hey, how are we doing? They don't, not, not many of them, if any, have actual software tools. They're just dealing with the consulting. So they'll put forth a strategy and say, here's what we recommend, and oftentimes walk away, and they don't have a tool. So a lot of times they will recommend us and work with us. So uh, I'm a big proponent of partnering. I, I built uh, a lot of my sales career uh, in a partnering uh, community where you build trust and relationships and you have bi-directional referrals going both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so talk about that's a good segue to, you know, your journey to the CEO seat. Do you consider yourself, you know, sort of like I took the entrepreneurial path or was it like a corporate path or, you know, how how did you end up here? Because I find there's, you know, just interesting, different journeys to that leadership seat. I started my career out of college wanting to be a, uh, a stockbroker. So I actually worked for First Fidelity in their brokerage department. And I got my Series 7 and Series 63 in 1986. And the infamous market crash of 1987. That wasn't you, right? That was not me. <laughs> but it left a really uh, indelible impression as I saw the firsthand impact of people losing a lot of money and really not understanding what margin calls were all about and, and basically buying more than they, they had the equity to uh, support. So from there, I went into um, financial planning and investment sales. And then I got into pharmaceutical, uh, where I actually worked for Letterly Labs, which you may know, uh, Ledge, is in Pearl River, New York, right by Park Ridge. And they became uh, Pfizer. So the recent vaccine that I was fortunate enough to get was part of my vaccine days. I worked on all the childhood vaccines. Uh, and then I, I, I worked for an agency um, in pharmaceutical where we helped companies do launches, medical education, uh, speaker bureaus, and things like that. So I was always on the technology side of sales. 
And I had the, the, the great fortune of working for some really, really strong mentors and entrepreneurs, both at, in the pharmaceutical, in the agency business. And then I went to work with my brother in the technology community, which we were a VAR. It's called the value-added reseller, where we represented several OEMs and sold their technology platforms and integrated them. And again, that company was led by my brother and another gentleman, uh, both really, really strong entrepreneurs. And I, I always looked at it where I ran my own business within their, their company. And then how I got to DecuSoft was my brother left the reseller I was with, CDI, formed DecuSoft as an application development spinoff to CDI. And then after my run at CDI, I decided I wanted to try something different. And my brother really needed help. My brother is a technical person and he needed help with sales, marketing, and some of the BD type stuff. And I always wanted to try something more on my own. And I kind of took the leap of faith and I was in a position to do that. And here I am five years later, uh, you know, running DecuSoft and learning every day, to be honest with you. You make mistakes, no one's perfect, and you just kind of learn and try and get better each and every day. And I see what I, I talk to CEOs all the time. And there's this sort of point where it's interesting that like some companies are, are led by a CEO who grew out of sales, sometimes marketing, sales, market BD, and others are operators and technologists. I don't think there's a right path necessarily, but is that completing the unit and deciding where from that leadership of the company comes and you could have your operator CEOs like a you know a Tim Cook is the classic kind of example and then you then you can have your sales CEOs like the old school IBM type of approach and I just find it fascinating that and many of the CEOs we end up serving and dealing with so my company running you know sort of outsourced sales operations we deal with operator CEOs who are practitioners and technologists just like you know you talked about with your your brother do you, do you guys think about like sort of why one thing is the leadership role uh, versus, you know, the other? Because it can go both ways. The, the way I look at it is that I always had a sales and marketing background. Uh, that's where I'm most comfortable. I love meeting people. I love the challenges of, you know, building relationships, uh, building trust. So I've always come from the sales side of the house. My brother was more of a technical you know, he too was a teacher, Ledge. So he he started his career as a as a teacher, and then he morphed into technology as a developer. So he's more on the technical side. And what we found was he needed help that lended itself to my skill set on the sales and the marketing side. And we just kind of complemented each other. And he still handles a lot of the operational issues, and I focus more on the sales and the marketing and trying to grow our footprint and build those relationships. So we just complement each other and. You know, I think there's just synergy by the fact we came together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think, do you think the the business development role must always include CEO? And I see companies that sort of the CEO is involved in sales, CEO is not involved in sales, and I, I do think it kind of materially changes the approach if you have a a revenue focused individual in the CEO seat versus more of the hands off, you know, where a VP of sales type of thing runs different things there. I'm just curious on your perspective. I, I think it depends on the size of the company. Being a smaller 
uh, company, I do get involved in a lot of the sales. I like the sales. I like the mm-hmm. um, relationships and things like that. And I, I also like the interaction with the customer. I, I'm always of the mindset when you sell something to a customer and they trust you and they invest in you that I want them to know they can always pick up the phone and, and, and call me. I like having that relationship. However, as you grow and evolve and you add salespeople, sales management, things like that, you get less involved in a day-to-day because it's hard to scale. Um, so eventually, as you build out a sales team and have a VP of sales and things like that, you still maintain a lot of the relationships, but it just changes the, the course of the daily inter- interaction versus the uh, long-term growth. Do you still have to use the CRM now? Yes. Like, are you, are you a well-behaved CEO? Like, you, are, you yes. putting notes, are you putting notes in your deals? So. Uh, honestly, you have to, because as you grow, <laughs> it's just really, really important. Uh, yeah. You have to use some of the tools. I, you know, I've always <laughs> been a proponent of using uh, CRM and sales tools. But uh, yeah. yes, salespeople, the, the, you know, the bane of their existence is the reporting and the forecasting. and The old taking notes. notes. Yeah. But you really need to, because yeah. it's the only way you keep organized. And also, as people come and go, uh, having documentation of things, you know, you could talk to a, a prospect you know, for two or three years before they buy something from you and you need to nurture and keep them in the fold. And without having a CRM or some sort of process, it's difficult to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about data integration. Uh, exactly. How do you, uh, you know, this is, this is a thing that I I'd love to get feedback on for the audience. I, I talked to a lot of founders who are growing and scaling fast and projections and, and planning of cash flow. you know, from that executive seat is so challenging and it ends up being, you know, sort of a, a wish list instead of like actually based on any real data. Well, I guess we should just double again, you know, and therefore we have to double our sales and therefore we need to do these things, but it's, it's not, you know, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Have you found tips and tricks that kind of would work for, for projections you know, in that way? We were fortunate ledge about a year ago, we took on an equity investment from FinTop Capital. And they have enabled us to uh, invest and help us accelerate our growth to get to that next level. With that, they had uh, they brought the finance, the operational. They bought a lot of the wherewithal that we did not have and the expertise to do that. They've also had a uh, very good track record of helping companies like ours get to that next level. So again, staying in your swim lanes and knowing what you do good and what you do best, uh, they. Uh, have helped us with the modeling uh, in terms of adding staff, uh, the timing of adding the staff, uh, helping us with the cash flow and helping us kind of hit milestones as we move forward. So again, I've, I've partnered with a company that's helping us get there. Yeah. And, and that makes a good point too. It's like, how do you know when you bring on, you know, outside help and assistance, which might be in the consulting or sort of fractional leadership types of, investments all the way up to, you know, okay, well, we can actually get a financing partner, you know, that can bring some of that to the table. And that's, that's sort of the, you know, smart money and and deeply involved type of investor partner, huge decisions that have to get made at certain points. And that inflection point and the the choice to invest in, in different roles and do I hire people? Do I use consultants? Do I grow in other ways? Do I take money? When do I need money? You know, how do you keep it all straight? We have, uh, again, with, with FinTop, they afforded us a uh, access to a CFO. 
So we have a CFO now who helps us with the modeling and is very consultative. So we look at, hey, are we going to use off resource, off payroll resources for this particular function? Does it make sense to build this out internally with full-time employees, a combination thereof? And that's kind of what we do. So we, we, we use full-time resources for certain functions and we'll use consultants for others as we build things out. The one thing that we do differently, we don't use third-party implementers to implement Compose. We, we do that ourselves. Some of our competitors or other point solutions use a third-party provider, and we provide a very high level of service and support that our customers like. When we get referrals from customers, often they will say to our prospects that, uh, I like the fact that I can call someone intimately familiar with my comp plans. I can talk to the implementation consultant or the developer that helped us. So you can get to resolution quicker than having to call a 1-800 number or a, uh, God, God forbid, going to an online community for, for support. So that model has served us well. And um, as we grow and scale, that, that will bring uh, challenges. But as we evolve the software, to do less, less reliant on developers to implement the solution and put more in the hands of the implementation consultants or the business analysts, uh, automate some of the things that we need developers for doing now, uh, that will help us evolve and in, enable us to keep that high touch. It sounds like maybe there's a sort of direction of a no code, you know, business analyst type of development layer there. Is Are you heading that direction? The, the less, the less, or coding code. requirement, yeah, no code, low code. The, the the more you can automate, the better off you are. Customization is a is a you know, kind of like a bad word. Uh, we are highly configurable, but again, the more that you can automate and have uh, the business analysts and others do without uh, having the full blown need for development, the better off you are. Uh, but again, we don't want to lose that as we grow and scale. We don't want to lose the service and support that are that are. You know, customers are accustomed to that, 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 that high touch enables us to differentiate ourselves from a lot of our competitors. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a great model to, do you think of it as mixing billable service and implementation with uh, a SaaS kind of, you know, recurring billing model? I often see that internal struggle of, you know, well, we don't want to be a service company, but there's actually a lot of professional service that we do. So should we just bill it as part of our subscription? And like that pricing and sort of organization of it, like, how do we do this? You know, we want to be a product company, but we're kind of also a service company. We don't want to be consultants, but we provide a lot of consulting. You know, do, do you have to wrestle with that? What, what we do is similar to some of the other software companies in the space. Our pricing model is twofold. We have a, a, a annual SaaS and support, and then we have a one-time implementation. That implementation can happen over the course of you know three to six months. So you're right. There's are you a product company? Or are you a services company? We want to be more of a product company. The question is, we do the implementation, which are the service element ourselves, and then. We're very uh, flexible, so a lot of times our customers will make enhancements as they scale and evolve over time. So their comp plans change, they add something, they take something away. We'll do enhancements as statements of work and services over time with a lot of our customers. Um, so really it's twofold. We have the SaaS and support and then the implementation services. Yeah, and this I think is a huge message for 
software companies, particularly that work with larger organizations or enterprise, like you, you won't get away from doing, if if not customization, then configuration, and and potentially even having to do at least some kind of extra customized development. And so you have to have the the capabilities to do that, or work with a VAR, or work with you know a a, a company that you can say, hey, we've we've certified developer X to work you know on our platform for these exact issues. Uh, have a plugin engine, have an add-on engine of some sort an api that you can work with like these are things that that will come up and i think they sneak up on you from the market as well and you need to be prepared for flexibility and agility when your biggest customer comes and they will ask you to do something that isn't exactly on your roadmap but you're like hey you know that's a pretty good thing we should build that with them yeah you're right we have uh, the ability to do apis with a, a lot of the providers and the, the key really is to minimize the amount of customization that you're doing. You want it to be like 90% within the base. And if you have to tweak and configure something to make it 10%, you want to automate as much as possible, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So lessons learned from your sales career. And, and I'll say it's for the CEOs like me who would be, you know, sort of, we are in the sales seat and we like it that way. And then also the CEOs who they have to learn how to sell and yet they haven't, you know, so they need to develop that, that muscle. What would you say you've picked up, you know, kind of in that sales career along the way? I've been really fortunate. Uh, I, I've, I've had a lot of really strong salespeople that I've, I've worked with and I've learned from uh, and have, have mentored me. And I, I think, you know, the key to being good in sales is just, you have to be a really good listener. You, you have to, you know, what's the old saying? You have two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you speak. I think sometimes salespeople feel the need to, to want to be experts and have to dominate a conversation instead of just kind of taking a consultative role and just listening and, and trying to glean as much as possible. I try and find out as much about my customers and prospects as possible. I, I, I do Google. I, I look at LinkedIn. I'm always trying to find a commonality within my network because nowadays, you know better than, than anyone. By the time a customer comes to us, they've probably done 60 to 70% of their homework already, whether it be online searches, checking my LinkedIn, checking who I'm connected to, checking my customers. So to me, it's really, really important to do my homework and be prepared. And for the CEOs that don't have the sales experience, then, you know, go get an A player that does and let them do their thing to help you uh, get better. And, I, and again, I just try and lead by example and have a strong uh, work ethic and, and, and just, you know, be someone of integrity. If, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and just be reliable. You know, th those are some of the, I think, the lessons that I've learned uh, along with, you know, when I came into this role, I had to learn things that. I weren't, I wasn't always uh, an expert on some of the operational things, some of the things I wasn't strong on. And, you know, what I did was I just, uh, I went out there and read and learned and continue to learn every day. It's, you know, again, getting back to the teaching uh, background, you never stop learning. And, uh, you know, I'm a big reader and, and, and an avid uh, fan of, of trying to get better all the time. And of course, you could listen to podcasts and you could pick up all 100%. kinds of knowledge, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I did. Yeah, 
You make uh, you make a great point about uh, it was just a little part there that I want to remind all since we are the B2B leaders here, you know, part of and we know this part of the buying pattern now is that the the CEO and leadership team sort of background check, if you will, of looking at, at LinkedIn and Googling the people who work there more so than the, you know, sort of the brand or the, the company. Yeah, they're going to read your website, but that's a tremendous avenue and we can directly track traffic that way. So do the work on developing your own uh, CEO and sort of VP of sales and whatever those profiles they're going to get more attention actually than the, the company brand. And that just wasn't the way it used to be that the, that vector of investigating the people and becoming connected uh, as part of the evaluation process for buying B2B now is huge. Yeah. It's, it's really when I, uh, you know, in preparing for this, I was looking back and thinking about how earlier on in the sales, in my sales career, how much things have evolved because of, of the internet and the tools that are out there and, you know, cold calling, you know, sending blind emails, you know, dialing for dollars, I used to call it, unless you have some sort of touch point to make it warm or relevant to them, it's just becoming increasingly more difficult to do that. So you'd be surprised how many people don't do their homework when, it, when they're either prospecting or talking to people. And it's really inexcusable at this, in this day and age, because of the tools that are out there, LinkedIn, Sales Navigator, uh, there's just so many tools that are out there that can enable you to do your homework and give you, uh, you know, I hate to say competitive advantage, but but just if you have some commonality or something that you that you can glean from doing that homework, it just helps you. And you have to be aware of the fact that they're already doing all that homework on you by the time you got to the table. It's just a fact that they've already, like I said, you can argue the numbers, but I'd say you know, 60 to 70% of the time, they have already done a lot of homework. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guilty of this myself. Like when you talk about doing the research on somebody, it's not a tremendous amount of time, you know, so you're talking about a little bit of investment. And, you know, I think, I know I've done it. So like, oh, I haven't had time to, you know, adequately prepare. And like, you really, you just cannot do that anymore. And you have Google, you have LinkedIn. I mean, like you need somebody's name and you can find out so much stuff. And yet I, I will say sometimes I show up unprepared on a, on a call, you know, so I, I want to tell people human. not to do that. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're all human. And, and when things get hectic, uh, I get it, but it's just taking those 30 or 40 seconds to go look something up. is yeah, really, And it is that, I mean, I occasionally it's, it's I'll really, be nowadays it's that easy. I'll be, you know, occasionally Zoom is loading. I'm like, dear God, I better look at his LinkedIn real quick. And pray that they have one. <laughs> or it's not John Smith, you know. Exactly. <laughs> then you're exactly. Speaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so before we wrap up, I don't, you know, what's, I always ask people, put on your futurist hat and you kind of think of like next few years are kind of in front of you. You got to grow in software company. What do you see happening? Major trends that, you know, ought to be paid attention to, um, you know, things like that. You know, I, I see a lot of things happening in compensation and the human capital management um, solution in, in terms of the overall marketplace. There's going to be more and more um, demand on ascertaining data and grabbing data from those systems that have impact on some of the decisions they're making. The whole pay equity uh, that I made reference to, the pay governance, um, if you don't have a, a system that can extract data, 
and have a tool that people can make decisions on quickly, it's going to be hard to maintain a competitive advantage. In terms of our marketplace, the product just has to continue to evolve. One of the things we do a really good job of is getting feedback from our customers. They're our best guide for our product roadmap. After we have a comp cycle, hey, what, what, did, what can we do better? What do you need? They, they help us form that roadmap. And there's going to be more and more prevalence of tools like AI and automation. And, and, and all of those things are going to continue to evolve. And um, you're going to have to be willing to invest into those to keep a, a differentiation uh, with the competitors and continue to provide value to customers. There's, there's a lot of things that are, going to have, that are going to be changing. You're going to have to change with it um, to have that differentiation. Yeah, it's just like the awareness of, you know, sort of. Exactly. Not just buzzwords, right? Like, you know, exactly. This is just what is actually going on, you know, around your customers. Tremendous amount of, of research and reading, you know, just around that. So, uh, Bob, thanks so much for, for coming. You know, great, great insights. I'd love to talk to a fellow salesperson. So, really nice to have you on. Appreciate that. If anybody wants to, uh, who heard this, you know, wants to get in touch with you or the, the company, what's the, the best channel for that? The uh, website is uh, www.decusoft.com. D-E-C-U-S-O-F-T.com. And um, you can call me on my cell, 201-803-9801. And Ledge, thanks so much. I enjoyed this a lot. Talking to a fellow New Jerseyite. That's right. Uh, now in Tennessee. So uh, say hi to your mom again. She was a great teacher. And <laughs> I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I will. Thanks so much, Bob. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.